10, 9, ignition sequence start, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. The Treehouse of Liberty podcast is hosted by Jason Fornwald and comes to you from the bright red corner of the bright blue state of Maryland. Hello once again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into another episode of the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. I am, as always, your host, Jason Fornwalt, and thank you so very much for deciding to join me once again. I told you guys a while back that I was planning on getting into the uh, releasing an episode every Friday pattern again. I feel like that's something that I kind of let you guys down on, and um, I need to be more consistent with that. I think a lot of times people check for a new episode, and then they check again, and then they check again, and it's not there, and they kind of lose interest and lose touch with the show, and that's something that I definitely don't want to happen. Um, That being said, obviously I have missed the last two weeks. And, you know, I'm not going to make excuses, but I am going to explain why I've missed the last two weeks. Um, Two weeks ago tomorrow, as this is being recorded, it's Tuesday. Um, Two weeks ago tomorrow, I lost a a good friend of mine, Mr. Bobby Zeiler, to COVID-19. And it really hit me hard. It was something that I wasn't expecting. Um, I, I don't think that it's any easier when you are expecting someone to pass away necessarily. Um, I guess it helps a little bit to have some time to prepare yourself for the inevitable if you do know ahead of time. And with Bobby, I just didn't have that opportunity. You know, I I messaged him a number of times, checking in on him to see how he was doing. And, you know, Bobby being the the typical tough man, you know, uh, the toxic masculinity type, if you will, um, he always gave me the, I'm fine, you know, I've got the sniffles, but other than that, I'm okay, and, you know, I have a little bit of a chill, but I'm all right, and, um, you know, I should have known that he wasn't doing as well as he let on. He was one of those people who really wouldn't let you know when he was suffering. Um, I I started working with him when I got into the security business in this area, and Bobby had left the prison system because he was seriously injured by uh, an inmate during his time there. And I know he had things that lingered with him and pains that he had and issues that he had, and you'd never hear him talk about it. Um, <clears throat> pardon me, but I, I know that that he did deal with those things, and I should have known that when he was telling me he was okay, you know, I should have probably invested some more time and some more effort into finding out whether or not that was actually true. I thought I was doing enough, but apparently not. Um, And losing him was difficult. You know, it's brought me some level of peace to be able to chat with his wife, Georgie, a couple of times. She was kind enough to reach out to me and it, it kind of stopped my heart for a minute the first time she messaged me because Bobby's name showed up <laughs> when the text came in. I was still in that, okay, this isn't real. You know, somebody screwed up. And then uh, I see a, a text come in from him, and I don't know how long I went, you know, with my heart completely stopped and not breathing, but it felt like minutes. Um, you know, I really thought and really hoped that I was about to get the news that, that somebody was 
had either made a mistake or was playing a terrible joke or something like that. It wasn't to be. Um, but I've really enjoyed having the opportunity to talk to her a little bit. It's definitely brought me peace, and I hope in some way it has brought some peace to her as well. I think it helps to talk to somebody who you know also loved the person that you lost. Um, and I I do love Bobby. I say do because I'm one of those people who believes in a very serious, very real spiritual realm that um, I've actually been able to delve into a little bit myself and had a lot of fun doing it. Um, Bobby actually surprised me the night of the snowstorm that we got here. Um, I had to walk down to one of our other buildings and I walked in the front door and I stomped my boots off and I stopped stomping and I heard two more stomps behind me and I got this image of him kind of smirking at me and in my head the way he always did and um, I choose to believe he was there you know you guys can believe whatever you want to I you know respect people that do believe in those that don't um, and Georgie's had some experiences with him as well, which I think is, is pretty awesome. Bobby was one of those people who loved, loved investigating um, the paranormal. And I was privileged enough to do that with him a few times. And he, he was somebody that had an intense interest in that. And knowing him, I know that he is someone that if he is able to communicate with those of us that love him, he will do it. And I believe he has already, and I certainly hope that'll continue. Um, just to get into some of the things that I've experienced myself over the years, and I told you guys way back in the, I think it was the first episode of the podcast that the supernatural realm was one of those things that I was going to talk about some, and I really haven't done that since then. Um, but just a few examples um, my girlfriend and I were walking a trail um, here in Cumberland, and it was one that she and I both had a lot of experience with separately. And there's this one spot on the trail that's always super cold. It's always like 15 to 20 degrees cooler than everywhere else. And both of us had looked for an explanation before and couldn't find one. Um, there was really no reason for that spot to be so much cooler than everything else. Well, we were walking up that trail and we got to that spot together and she said this spot's always and i finished her sentence it's always cold and i said i feel like there's somebody here and she said yeah i feel like there's somebody watching and i said i've always kind of had that feeling here and i looked up on the hill and i could see a row of american indians with bows now when i say i see something supernaturally i'm not seeing what looks like a physical person. I'm looking at an area and getting an image in my head. And I told her, I said, babe, you know, I said, here's what I'm seeing. There's this row of, of Indians and they're holding bows and they're, they're looking down at us. And I said, I don't feel really threatened, but they're watching what's going on. And I said, I know this doesn't make any sense because Indians didn't shave their heads, but I said, they're all bald. So go, oh, okay, you know, and she had had those experiences with me before. Um, and so she just kind of took it as, okay, you know, that's what it was. And we went back to the house and we looked up the history in that area. And sure enough, there were Shawnee Indians that lined up in rows with bows in their hands and their shaved heads. 
and watched back in the day as the white man was laying railroad tracks through that area. You know, so it's like that was something I hadn't researched before. I didn't know that the Shawnees shaved their heads, um, <clears throat> but I, I had that experience, and it was one of many. Um, I remember another night, I, I went to one of my favorite places here, Rose Hill Cemetery. And at Rose Hill, there are just graves from every possible era and situation you can possibly imagine. There's a relatively large Civil War section. There are Revolutionary War soldiers that are buried throughout the cemetery. And it's so cool because our local cemetery society marks all of their graves with uh, Gadsden flags, which I think is really kick-ass. Um, for the few of you that listen to this show that might not know that it's the Don't Tread on Me flag, the yellow flag with the snake. Um, but they do that all the time. And I had this one particular mausoleum that I had always found myself drawn to. And I was meeting my mom up there. We were doing a, a ghost hunt this particular night. She wanted to go with me. And uh, I went to this particular mausoleum. She was drawn to another one. I'm like, okay, you know, she hasn't been here before. Maybe she's picking up on something that I'm not. And she started looking into this other one. Well, when I looked into it, the casket was metal. And it had some kind of a big wheel on the end of it, I guess, to seal it or whatever. And... She continued to look, and I sat down to see if I could get any kind of impression, and into my head popped this guy on a canal boat, um, a wide-brimmed black hat, his wife, and, you know, a, a dress and a bonnet. And I told my mom, I said, Mom, you know, this guy worked on the canal. And she said, oh, okay, you know, because she'd had those experiences with me before. But it didn't make any sense to me because I wouldn't have thought that the metal casket would have been something that would have been around, you know, late 1700s, early 1800s. Um, and the CNO Canal here in Cumberland, um, the CNO Canal ran from here down to Washington, D.C. and back. It was one of the main, main, main means of transporting goods back and forth, like I said, in the, the late 1700s, early 1800s. Well, the gentleman's name was Kessner. I can't remember his first name, unfortunately, but his name was Kessner. And I had his full name at the time, and I went back and I looked it up in the obituaries in our hometown newspaper, their archives. And I'm looking down through his obituary. It said, you know, he had a, a fire brick company, and a lot of the bricks that um, buildings were built of downtown were made by his factory and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, you know, I, I really missed on this one. Get down to the very end of it and says, oh, and he built canal boats. You know, so it was just like... These things that I can't possibly know um, so often end up being true. And again, you know, I, I'm not asking you guys to believe or disbelieve anything. You know, I mean, that's your choice. That's up to your own personal experience and, and personal feelings. But it's something that I love and, and have always loved. Um, there have been many other times things like that happen. When Trina and I first got together, we were getting ready to go to sleep one night and... I had this picture of her dad, who I had never met before. I'd seen pictures of him. And I'd never met him before. And I just saw him in my mind's eye or third eye or whatever you want to call it. And saw him in a great amount of detail. I mean, I, I could tell exactly what he was wearing. And he kept giving me that impression, I need to talk to my daughter. I need to talk to my daughter. And after a few minutes of, you know, communicating back to him, sir, you don't need me to do that. You know, you could do that on your own. You don't need me for that. 
um, he insisted, and and I put my arm around Trina. I said, "Honey, I said I, I'm sorry to do this to you, but your dad's here." <laughs> She's like, "How do you know it's him?" And I said, "Well, you know, he he's got on these black shoes that are kind of like thick." And I said, "He's got on black work pants, and he's got on this jacket or shirt of some kind that's like checkered, um, black and red." And her mouth dropped open, and she stared at me. I was like, "What?" She said, "That's what we buried him in." I was like, "Okay." I said, "Now you know it's him." She, um, sorry, I, I told her, you know, just to, to clear your mind, you know, get a picture of him, and see what he's got to tell you. And she did that for a couple of minutes, and I, I heard her start to sniff, and, and Trina never cries about anything. I mean, it's like if she's crying, the world's on fire. Um, and I could hear her starting to, to sniff a little bit, and she started full-on crying at one point. I wanted so badly to put my arm around her and ground her and bring her back, but I knew her dad wasn't going to do anything that would hurt her or upset her, and so I let her go. And... We, um, when she and I first got together, she wasn't supposed to have been able to get pregnant, and she did. Um, she ended up having a miscarriage, and it was difficult for both of us, even though we knew, you know, with her situation, she wouldn't be able to carry the term, um, but those those kinds of things are still difficult, you know, especially when she had been told by her doctor that there's absolutely no chance you could ever get pregnant again, as she does. Um, but that night, she, um, when her dad left, she turned and looked at me and she said he was holding our son. And... It was difficult to hear that, but it was also so incredibly, um, it brought so much peace to me to hear that, to know that this creation that we weren't able to share physically, you know, has a soul and is protected and is where he's supposed to be. Um, I have to admit I was, I was pretty jealous of Trina for a while, that, um, she had gotten to see him, and I drove a truck for a while when I first came back to Cumberland, and um, I was driving my route one afternoon, and just all of a sudden, right in front of my face, I got this image of our son. Um, and he was about 10 months old, and he had on these little overalls and, and little, uh, like, Timberland boots, and hair just as blonde as the sun. I mean, he's just almost white. Um, and this huge smile on his face. And I went home that night, and I told Trina what I had seen, and she hadn't told me what she saw. And she just kind of smiled and shook her head. She's like, that's exactly what I saw. Um, and that's obviously a, a, a pretty personal... Uh, situation like that that I've had but you know that this stuff is so amazing and, and so magical and I understand it's one of those things you kind of have to experience it for yourself 
um, to have any kind of faith in it. Um, there was another person, another, I'm going to call her a family member because she basically was, um, another person in Trina's family that I didn't have the opportunity to meet, and that was her best friend, Lisa, who from the time they could walk, they were absolutely inseparable. And a couple of years before I met Trina, um, Lisa was actually murdered by her boyfriend, using that term very loosely. Um, and again, I had never had the opportunity to meet her. And before I started dating Trina, we used to go to the same gym and we were standing out in the parking lot talking one night and I knew of Lisa. I didn't know anything about her really. I knew what happened to her. And I felt like she was there. And I was trying to avoid talking about her. Um, but she's very insistent. She's, she's the only female entity that shows up on my right side and instead of my left. Usually right side's males and, and strong dominant people. And Lisa is one of those people. <laughs> um, but I, I told Trina, I said, look, I said, I am so sorry. I don't want to do this. Um, but Lisa's here. And she looked at me like, you're out of your mind. Um, and I would have to, to be perfectly honest. I mean, I figured she would just think I was trying to get in her pants or something, which at that point I wasn't yet. <laughs> but I, I told her Lisa was here, and she's like, uh, okay, yeah, well, what can you tell me? And I said, well, I said, first of all, I have this impression that she's very, very strong. I said, emotionally, physically, I just feel like she's a, a tough person. Um, and Trina shook her head. She's like, yeah. She said, I, I saw her beat up guys you know, regularly. Um, and so, you know, I mean, that was a little bit of confirmation for her. Um, but I was also able to tell Trina that Lisa's favorite band was Kiss. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty random to be able to come up with something like that. I really believe that she gave that to me. Um, and Lisa's, Lisa's been around us a few times. There was another night that I was sitting on the love seat, Trina was sitting on the couch, and I just felt Lisa come sit down beside me. And I, I was feeling something on my left hand, like across my, the top of my knuckles, like the, the um, bones that join to the actual large part of your hand. I felt like there's something across all four of those fingers there. And I said, honey, I said, what did Lisa have across here? I said, it's not rings, but she had something that went across all four of these fingers. And right away, she just, she teared up and she's like, yeah, when she was dating this guy named Todd, she decided that she was going to be with him forever and decided to give herself a prison tattoo of his name across those four fingers, T-O-D-D. Um... And I have to keep saying it. I mean, I, I know a lot of you turned the show off already, and that's fine. I can appreciate that. But until you experience these things, or unless you've experienced these things for yourself, I know it sounds hokey and ridiculous, but, you know, I, I know what's real for me. And I bring that back around only to say that I know that my good friend Bobby is always going to be around me. He's always going to be around Georgie. He's always going to be showing that warmth and protection to the people that he loves. Um, he's not going to be someone that goes away quietly into that good night. <laughs> and I would expect nothing less from him. 
to be perfectly honest. And, you know, I, I hope that he'll be around for a good long time to come. Okay, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, I am so disappointed with Mitch McConnell that I can't put it into words. And I've learned that he's not a conservative. I've learned that he's not a Republican. I've learned that he doesn't have the same values that we do. I've learned that, you know, the things that are important to us are not what's important to him. But I would expect in the midst of a global pandemic during which our governments have shut down businesses, taken away people's livelihoods, not allowed people to work, forced us to wear masks everywhere we go, taken complete control of our lives, it tried like hell to completely wreck the economy. I would think in a situation like that, where we know that government broke it, government would be willing to fix it. And President Trump kicked back the $600 to every American plan, you know, because he wanted $2,000 to go to every American. Now, $2,000, you know, if you have a business, it's not going to fix it. You know, if you can't pay your mortgage, odds are pretty good it's not going to fix it. Or if it does, it's not going to fix it for long. But $2,000 for us is not much to ask for. And I don't care if I get it or not, to be perfectly honest with you. I have been so blessed throughout the course of all of this to remain employed, to have worked overtime all year long because of COVID, you know, to have my bills paid, to have my lights on, to not have lost a business, you know. But I have such a great amount of empathy for the people that are not in my position, you know. Trina works for the state. She's been a good position, too. You know, when they have asked her not to come in and they alternated weeks to minimize exposure to their employees, they paid her for the weeks that she was off. We've been taken care of. And like I said, I am immensely grateful to God that that's the case. I know how many people are not in that situation. I have a really close friend who runs a pub in Pittsburgh. And he manages it for his in-laws. And by all accounts, he does an incredible job. He posts the pictures of the food that he makes on Facebook. And it makes me want to get in the car and drive to Pittsburgh just about every time he does it. You know, and, and they've worked very hard to build the business that they have. Um, and so, like, every week he's had to come up with another plan to try to keep people coming in the door as the governor has thrown all these rules and all these regulations and all these shutdowns and all these closures at them. And the guy's worked his absolute ass off to keep things running so that he can take care of his family. And he's done a hell of a job, and I can't wait to get up there. You know, I want to take one huge overtime check and spend it all at that pub trying every beer that they make, you know, and every concoction that he comes up with to eat. And then I want to go back the next day and do it again. You know, I mean, it's, it's like I have so much respect for the people that have battled so hard through all this crap. And it's Reclamation Brewing Company. In Pittsburgh, if you get the opportunity to go, Reclamation Brewing, please, please go. You know, please patronize your local businesses, your local restaurants, your local bars. All those people that you don't want to see go away when this shit's over. 
take care of them now. You know, they take care of us. They're still there, so many of them. Working so hard to make sure that we get to a Friday night and we want a cold beer or we want something to eat, we can at least go there and get it to go. You know, I think most of us probably have a favorite dish at a favorite restaurant somewhere in our hometown. We're close. You know, we need to make sure that we're going to get whatever that is right now. Because if we're not there for them right now, they're not going to be there for us when this is over. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm really fortunate, and I've told you guys about this before, really fortunate to have a bar and grill right in my neighborhood called Lashballs. And Lashballs was one of the first, if not the first, in the country to offer free lunches to kids when their schools were shut down. You know, those kids that might not be able to eat. Um, the owner was actually on CNN talking about what they were doing and why and how important the community was to him. Every single time I get the opportunity to go to Lashballs, you know, I'm going there. You know, these are the people that are take care, taking care of us. These are the people that matter. And I take nothing away from the people that are physically on the front lines of combating this disease. Nothing at all. You know, I have so much respect for our doctors, for our nurses, for our EMTs, for our firefighters, for our paramedics, for all of these people that are putting their own safety and health at risk. And perhaps the safety and health of their families at risk. To take care of people they don't even know. And it made me so angry because right now, Allegheny County is the second worst county in the country for COVID rate. And Larry Hogan, our worthless, ridiculous, absolutely stupid, useless governor, said that, you know what, you guys aren't going to get the vaccine in the first round because we need to send some to D.C. They didn't get enough. Now, wait a minute. This is the same Larry Hogan who told us in Allegheny County, when we started seeing this surge in our cases, just wear the damn mask. But now that we're the number two county in the country for COVID rate, we're not going to give you the damn vaccine. You know, and that guy's the biggest idiot I have ever seen run anything. And I am so ashamed of ever voting for him. It makes me sick. If I could vote for Barack Obama to be governor of the state of Maryland, over that rhino Larry Hogan, I would do it in a heartbeat. Obama is a god politically compared to Larry Hogan. And I can't stand Obama, believe me. Um, but it's like only now are our healthcare professionals starting to get the vaccine. You know, after we sent it to D.C. It's like when I was talking to Trina about it, I, I used the analogy. Okay, so, <clears throat> pardon me, your kids are starving. And the neighbor's kids are starving. You have six steaks. Are you going to take those steaks over to the neighbor's house and say, here you go, hope your kids do okay? Or are you going to make sure that your own kids are taken care of? And then if there's enough left, by all means, take it over to the neighbor's house. I mean, it's a no-brainer. I understand we're all Americans. I can appreciate that. I want everybody that wants the vaccine to get it. And I want it to happen today. You know, I realize that's not possible. But when you are elected 
to be governor of the state of Maryland and to serve the people of the state of Maryland, you damn well better do that. And I told you guys before what happened the last time I criticized Larry Hogan. I got the Gestapo banging on my door at 10 o'clock at night. I step out to talk to him. You know, six guys in fucking battle fatigues, pardon my language. In fatigues, you know, and their attack vests, you know, saying that I made a threat against the governor. And I was very polite. I was very respectful. I said, sir, I'd never do that. And I wouldn't. And I said, would you kindly show me the threat that I made? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, I got it all on my phone right here. There's a couple of them. He scrolls through. That's not a threat. That's not a threat. That's not a threat. Well, I guess it was just the totality of it. Totality of what? My free speech? He couldn't find anything. I told him to have a nice day and went back inside. And I don't care if that happens again. I'm not afraid. I figure there's going to come a day where a van rolls up and I get pulled into it and nobody knows what happened to me. Wolverines, avenge me. And I love those of you that just chuckled at that a little bit. But I think I'm going to bring this episode to a close. I know I've kind of been all over the place and rambling a little bit. and Sad and a little cranky and laughing a little bit and all that stuff. That's just kind of the way things have been lately. And I appreciate always having the opportunity to come to you guys and talk to you a little bit. You have no idea how good for me all of you are. And I want you to have the opportunity to come talk to me and come talk to the rest of the audience here on the Treehouse of Liberty podcast as well. Please don't forget to contact me, especially if you disagree with anything that I say. I would love to have you on. I'll give you the whole 30 minutes uninterrupted if that's what you would like, and I would, it would be my absolute pleasure and honor to do that. Um, if you agree with me, that's great. We'll talk too. But I learn more from people who disagree with me than people who do. Um, there's a couple different ways you can contact me. It is treehouseoflibertymedia at gmail.com, treehouseoflibertymedia at gmail.com. It's also treehouse1776 at treehouse1776 on Twitter and the Treehouse of Liberty podcast on Facebook. I'll let you know how I came up with that name for the Facebook page eventually. But that's going to do it for another broadcast, ladies and gentlemen. This has been the Treehouse of Liberty podcast. I am your host, Jason Fornwald. Thank you for being here, and take care.